This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. If you need a Bible, why don't you get your hand up? If you're a guest, we welcome you here today. We love people. We're glad to see you. Once you get a Bible, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 9. And we'll look at a little parts of heaven throughout this morning. I believe it'll help you to understand a little bit about what God wants us to do now. But even when we get to heaven. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going. Uh, just real quick, one of our guys and his wife is back. Ben, you and Madison, won't you stand up? I'm going to really embarrass you. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Ben has done his duty with our Marines, and so he served our country very faithfully, and we pray blessings over him. So he gets to get back to civilian life. Bless you. We're glad you're here. All right, we're going to start in Matthew 9 once you get there. You know, in John 3, 16, it said, For God so loved the world that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him, it didn't say whosoever is perfect, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so God tells me his desire right there. He wants to save us, but whosoever believeth in him, that I choose to to honor him and ask him to come into my heart. In in Second Peter two or Second Peter three verse nine, it says that God desires that none perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish, but yet I play a part in it by how I respond to him, whether I believe in him or not. Now we begin in in Matthew nine, uh, verse number nine. And as Jesus passed by on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax office, and he said to him, "Follow me." So he rose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus said at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors came. Now I, I believe this guy named Matthew, he follows Jesus and then for all these other tax collectors to come to the house, I believe they had to be invited and I believe the man who invited them was this guy named Matthew. But understand the tax collectors were hated. They were despised because of their reputation as a bunch of cheaters. And so these guys weren't well liked, but it says they went to where Jesus was eating and sinners. The message says disreputable uh, characters. And so when you look here who was there at the house, it was tax collector sinners. And they came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now, it's interesting here that Jesus would go around these sinners, these tax collectors. But again, Jesus loved people. And that's what it was always about, was about people. Jesus came for every person on this earth. And so we must never forget this right here. That as long as I'm on this earth, there's always going to be sinners that need the Lord. And so we have a part to play. He goes on to say in verse 11, And when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The New Living says, why does he eat with such scum? Now, for them to say that, they are talking about people, other human beings, people that God created. And so, again, you begin to get the the insight that these religious people had this thought that they were better than them. And to a degree, you know what they said? They were saying, What are they doing in here? We don't like them to be around us. But Jesus heard it in verse 12. He said, 
to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And when you see what he's saying there, Jesus says, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? He goes on to say, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. I desire that you show or you give mercy and not sacrifice. So you know what Jesus was saying? I would rather you give mercy than be religious. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so when you look at what he's talking about, Jesus likened himself to a physician who went where there was genuine need. Now, it would be absurd for us to think that a doctor would not help someone in physical need, as it would be absurd for us to think that Jesus wouldn't help someone that was in spiritual need. So I can never get away from this. What is most important to Jesus? People. Turn with me to to Luke 15, and you'll begin to see the, the pattern of what Jesus wants to get across in this. That every person on this earth, he died for him. Luke 15, verse number 1. Then all the tax collectors, all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. The social outcasts. It's, it's, it's very important that we see that these sinners drew near to him. Why is that so important? Because he made them very welcome. He was very sincere. He was concerned about their lives. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the self-righteous, they complained. They complained that Jesus would give these type of people his time. And they said, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. Now, they thought they were slapping Jesus, but really to Jesus, this was one of the greatest compliments they could show him. And so when you look here, these religious, they came across like they were perfect. And to a degree, you know what they were saying? What are you doing in in, in our church? We don't want to be around you. We don't want our children to be around you. And again, we miss the very point that Jesus is trying to get across that all people, every person matters to him. You know, I I thought about this passage when I was reading it. And, you know, growing up as a teenager, I didn't I didn't have to tell people you're a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. And I knew I was a champion sinner. And I I remember in between my junior and senior year in high school, I I began to have a desire for the things of God. Something started trying to awaken within me. Remember in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says eternity's in your heart. And so I was working a job that summer, and there was a young man that worked with me, and he was a couple years younger than me, and his father was a pastor. And periodically, his dad would show up on work site and bring his son lunch. And I remember one day, his his father, who was always very courteous to me, said to me, he said, Hey, I teach a Bible class before our, our Sunday morning services, a bunch of 17 to 20-year-olds, and I would personally invite you to come. And I struggled with it, and I struggled with it. And, you know, a lot of times we have the thought that church is for perfect people. That's a lie, okay? Or yet we have this thought as human beings, I'll, 
I'll go to church when I get my, my life together. Well, if you can get your life together without Jesus, you would never need Jesus. But that's why we go to church. We go to, we don't go to church to see how religious we are. We go to church to worship and honor God and learn the things of the Bible. So I struggled and struggled and finally one Sunday I got up and went. And I'll never forget when I walked in there, that pastor saw me and he said, come up here and sit by me. And so it was like he was telling everybody in the room, I put my thumbprint on him. And so it was very good. For the next couple weeks, I went and I went. And after one of the sessions, he looked at me and said, I I want you to to stay over into our main service this morning. Come on to church. And so I went to that service. And as I went in that auditorium, I'll never forget, I could tell I wasn't welcomed. There were many people in there who knew my past and my history And I left and I said out of my mouth, I'll never go back there. So the next day at work, the young man said, hey, how'd you like our church service? And I said, I hated it. I hated it. I told him how people made me feel. The next day, the pastor showed up and he personally apologized to me, said, I want you to know that's not my heart. I never went back to that church. And for two more years, my life spun out of control. And just think about this, guys. There's people that may be sitting around you today. You don't know what's going on in their lives. But one thing I do know, every one of us need Jesus. Every one of us in this room. And so we go on here and watch how Jesus deals with this. So he spoke this parable to them saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep... If he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. The shepherd would leave the flock to go after the one. And what Jesus was speaking that day to these religious folk, the power, the value, the significance of just one. He never would give up on that one, just one. And maybe today there's just one in your life that you would be the one that would lead him to the Lord. I think the Lord also tells, don't, don't forget people. Don't give up on people. Think about this in your life. Thank God you had someone that never gave up on you. And I, I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus, I had a guy who was a couple years older than us, and he was a really, a really good athlete. I mean, a really good, good athlete. He, he had a, a great character about him that back then, and this will date me a little bit, but they didn't run the 100 meters, they ran the 100 yards. This guy ran 9-9 in the 100-yard dash, and he would throw the shot put over like 55 feet. And so he would tell me stuff that sometimes I didn't want to hear, but he loved me enough to go ahead and tell it to me. And on top of that, I knew I couldn't whip him. I wanted to. I I probably could have if I'd have picked up an equalizer. But yet this guy kept, kept coming around me, kept telling me about the things of God. Keep reading here in this parable, verse 5. And when he has found the sheep or it... He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Now what it said about a sheep that when it finds, it can't find its way back, 
it will lie down helplessly and it will not budge. It's almost like it'll throw up a white flag of surrender and say, I'm done. So literally right here, this is, is showing that this shepherd would go and pick them up and put them on their shoulder and carry them around. And that may be you. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying. Sometimes you just got to pick people up. Sometimes you got to tell them, get back in the race. Keep running. Verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise, and the word likewise here is indicative of a joy that must be shared. And he said, and likewise, I say, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. You know what happens in heaven? There's a roar when people give their heart to Jesus. There is a celebration. And I don't believe Jesus was telling us that just to wait till me and you get to heaven. I believe this is what ought to begin to happen here on earth. That it is an incredible celebration when we have ones that get born again. Now he jumps into the second part of the parable, verse 8. Or what woman? Now the first one he spoke to men. He wants to identify with the women now. And he said, having ten silver coins. Now the silver coins here, the ten, it was it was symbolic there that in their culture when a woman got married, she was given these ten uh, uh, silver coins as a sentimental value. It was a big deal to them. So she gets these ten coins, and as she loses one coin, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully or diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is more joy in heaven. Here's what I believe takes place all day long in heaven. That when someone on earth gives their heart to Jesus, there is a roar. And whatever your family members that have died and already gone to heaven, whatever their assignment is, they're going through their day right now in heaven in their assignment, and all of a sudden... There's a roar. And they do a little bit more and there's a roar and there's a roar and there's a roar all day long. And you know what? They don't get mad at the roars. They understand the roars are what's taking place right here on earth. So literally, I believe the angels and even our loved ones that are in heaven, they are very aware of what's going on on earth right now. They're very aware when we do things that are leading to the kingdom of God. They are cheering us on and they're yelling and there's a roar. And so again, I believe in this situation or these parables, what the Lord Jesus was saying to us, get excited when people get born again. We, we can't ever forget evangelism. Just a little while longer and we're going to be with him. But understand this, as long as we're here on the earth, He said, you're my hands, you're my feet, you're my voice, you're my witnesses. And I thank God I had people never gave up on me. I thank God I had a mother that literally prayed us into the kingdom. And so that's you and me. 
Wherever you work at, you're not there just to make a paycheck. You're not there just to go through eight hours a day. You're there to be the salt. You're there to be the city that's on the hill. You're there to be the influencer of that place. So heaven will roar. And won't it be a great day in heaven when people come up to you and say, because of what you did on earth, I'm here. I'm here. And that may be you witnessing to them to their face. That may be just the way you give. When you give into missionaries that go around the globe and people get born again, your name's going to be attached to that. Now turn with me to the book of John chapter 14. And I want to give you some scriptures here today that will begin to show you some things that are taking place in heaven. Now the song we did a minute ago, the oldie, my father's house, the big, this is taken right here out of John 14. We begin in John 14, verse number one. Let not your heart be troubled or agitated. One translation says, don't let this throw you. You believe in God, believe also in me. And this is the Lord Jesus. He said, you believe in God. Believe also in me. And this is very, very important because you'll see through the rest of this passage why this is so important. Now, when we talk about God and we talk about Lord Jesus, me personally, I've never seen God. I've never seen Jesus. I know there are people that have had visions and seen Jesus. I've never seen him personally. Jesus didn't stroll up to me and give me a business card and said, hey, I'm Jesus. You you ought to receive me. No, he never did that to me. But I still believe. Remember, Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity is in our hearts. There's something that I know within my heart. There's a God and there's a Jesus. I mean, think about the things on a daily basis you believe in that you've never seen them or you've never been there. How many have ever been to the moon? I've never been to the moon. I believe in a moon. Not only do I see it, I know people who said they've walked on it. Well, do you believe them? Yeah, I believe them because of history. I've never been to Israel, but I believe in Israel. I've never seen the wind. I've seen the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. And so again, so many things in our life we believe in without receiving them. But yet when it comes to God and the Lord Jesus, sometimes people have a hard time and they'll say stuff like this. You mean you would base your eternity on someone you've never seen? Yeah, I will. Because remember in the passage in Luke 16, you had the rich man die and the man named Lazarus. And the rich man said to to Father Abraham, he said, send back Lazarus to my five brothers. And once they see him, they'll believe. And the Lord Jesus' response to him, he said, no, I'm not sending him back. They have Moses and they have the prophets. In other words, Jesus was saying... This book is sufficient. This book is good enough. And so when you can find this stuff in the Bible, you live by it. So Jesus is wanting to get a point across to him here. He says in verse 2, In my Father's house, here it is, are mansions. I looked at a lot of different translations. Listen to some of the definitions of mansions. Dwellings, rooms, Houses, and it conveys here that there is plenty or ample room in heaven 
for anybody who wants to come. There are no no vacancy signs in heaven, okay? And so what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to look at these scriptures, but I'm going to give you some biblical reference where it'll give you an idea just how big parts of heaven are. But the first thing he says here is he said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now this is what Jesus said. I go to prepare a place for you. But the only way he prepares a place for me is when I live by verse 1 who said, you got to believe in me. You believe in Father God, you got to believe in the Lord Jesus. Now when we talk about Jesus here going to prepare a place for you, you know what I think he's doing? I think he's putting some of our favorite things in our mansions. But even more so, I think there'll be things in each one of our mansions that we always desired here on earth and we may not have ever got them. And he'll say, you know what? I'm going to be real good to them in heaven. Some of you ladies who always dreamed of this and this and that, it's going to be there. It's going to be awesome. Verse 3. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now remember, he's come once already. And he's coming again just a little while longer and he's coming back. And so this is what he said. I'm going to come again. And I come back and I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so you know what he's saying? Where I'm going to reside, that's where you're going to reside. And you'll never be apart from me again. Now, it's interesting that the end of verse 2 and end of verse 3, he uses the word place. He said at the end of verse 2, he said... I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, why is the word place so significant? Because it shows me that heaven is a literal place. It's not part of my imagination. It's not something that we're just going to see maybe in a Disney World uh, video, a Disney movie. Heaven is a literal place. Verse number four. And where I go... You know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going or how we know the way. Now listen to what Jesus said to him. Jesus said to him, I am the way to God. The truth that you've searched for. The life that you've longed for. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So this all goes back to verse number one. The only way I get to heaven is through the Lord Jesus. That I receive him as Lord of my life. So again, you're not going to earn it. By your good behaviors or how righteous, how spiritual you think you are. The only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus. And it's interesting that he said... I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. You know what he is? He's the answer to everything. Now and forever. And so when you look at the mansion that he wants us to all have, it's based on verse number one right there. I got to receive Jesus as Lord of my life. And he said, the only way. He didn't say there were this way or that way. He said, the only way. It's through the Lord Jesus. 
Turn with me to Revelations 21. And being excited about the Word of God is permitted in here, okay? I don't know if you guys are thinking that much. But again, I just want to be biblical here, okay? I mean, again, there's teachings that there's many ways to heaven. There's not any many ways to heaven. There's one way to heaven. There's only one, okay? Now, in the book of Revelations 21, we were here last week. Revelations 21 has 27 verses in it. We took verses 1 through 7 last week. We highlighted verse 4 where it said heaven would be a place where there would be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. And I said, Lord, get me out of here. I, I look forward to that. But then in verses 9 through 27, he really gets in detail about heaven. But today I want to start in verse 8. And the reason I want to start in verse 8, because this is the only verse in this whole chapter that doesn't talk specifically about heaven. So we begin this morning, Revelations 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the cowardly, and these are the ones that will not get in, the cowardly. And I said, what does that mean, Lord? One of the best translations I came upon, it said, the cowardly submissive. The ones that aren't fully submissive, or they're ones that bow under peer pressure. So he said, the cowardly, the unbelieving or the faithless, the abominable or the degenerates, the defiled, the murderers, the sexually moral, the sorcerers, witchcraft, the idolaters, the ones that have supreme devotion to anyone or anything above God. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire brimstone, which is the second death. And when I look at that, I think, why is that in this verse? Because Jesus, again, wants to give us a strong warning that not everybody's going to be in heaven. And this passage right here is cross-referenced into 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Write that down and look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He gets into more detail on that. And so I still believe we've got to know both sides of what we're getting into. There is a literal heaven and there's a literal hell. Verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and he talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. The bride is the church. The lamb is Jesus. There will be a marriage supper and what will happen The church, which is people, will get married. We're going to marry Jesus is what this is talking about. It's going to be a great day. Verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, when he says this descending out of heaven... That shows me right there, guys, this new city that we talked about last week in verse 1, it will not be constructed constructed by mortal hands. It's all going to be a God thing. But he referenced it as a great city. What makes a city great? People. People. And so he's talking about this great city that is going to be full of people. Verse number 11, 
Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, he's he's describing to us this city, this new Jerusalem that we're going to worship in in heaven. Verse 12, also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates. The 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. I believe right here the first part that he's talking about is the Old Testament saints, the ones that were very faithful. Now, what I want you to notice in the upcoming verses that over and over again, he will use the number 12 or he will use multiples of 12. When I begin to look at what 12 represented, it represents perfection. The new Jerusalem that me and you are going to live, it's going to be perfect. Now watch some of these words how it describes verse 13. There will be three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. These signify the 12 sons of Jacob. That's who this is. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. These were the original 12 apostles that were representing of the church. That's what this is talking about. Verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed or a gold stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, its width, and its height are all equal. Now, if you go back and you do the math of the furlongs he talks about, it's somewhere right around 1,380 miles square height, width, length. And so to get a better understanding about how big this city's going to be, this perfect city, if we were to go from the top of the state of Maine all the way down to the bottom of Florida, that's how big it'd be this way. This way would be from the Atlantic seaboard all the way 600 miles west of the Mississippi River. It's a pretty good-sized city, wouldn't you think? You know how high it is? 600,000 stories high. This is the city we'll partake of. This isn't all of heaven. This is just the new Jerusalem, okay? So you know what it shows me? There are going to be a lot of people in heaven. A lot of people. And he, he begins to clarify this. So we jump to verse 17. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, which is 72 yards or 216 feet thick, according to the measure of man, that is, and of an angel. The construction of his wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. We think we've seen precious jewels. We think we've seen gold. We hadn't seen nothing like we're fixing to see, okay? This is what this wall was constructed of. Now, because there's some crazy words that I don't want to butcher in verses 19 and 20, we're going to skip those. You read them, okay? Some of them I understand what it is, and I begin to 
dig and try to figure out what some of them. I mean, if you've ever studied precious metal, this is in here. I, I, I think it'll be shocking to us what God's preparing for us. Verse 21. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual or separate gate was one pearl. Now, some of you ladies may wear some pearls around your neck. I, I, I can't imagine these gates. They're going to be this one ginormous pearl. I mean, I think when we get there, we're going to look at that and think, oh my gosh. This thing is incredible. And so he says, it's one big pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold. Not, not 20 carat. Not 21 and a half carat. He said, it's, it's going to be pure gold like transparent glass. And so when you look at this, the precious materials used to the construction of the city, it represents its beauty and its glory. Now, we think we've experienced wealth here on earth. And years ago, the joke was that there was a guy who he dies and he goes to heaven. And he gets ready to go through this pearl gate. And Peter stops him. And he said, what do you got in your pocket? And the guy said, well, I had a lot of precious stuff while I was on earth. And I thought I would bring some of it with me up here. And he said, empty your pockets and let me see what you got. And the guy pulled out his pockets and there were some chunks of gold. And Peter looked at him and said, now why in the world would you bring asphalt up here? The streets in heaven are of solid gold, guys. Keep reading. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. See, again, oftentimes when we come into buildings like this, the presence of God is in the temple and everything. But the true temple, it's Father God and Jesus. It's all about worshiping them. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. And there will be no night there And they shall bring the glory and the honor and the nations into it. And I want you to see there the word nations is mentioned twice and it's plural every time. It didn't say the nation or a nation. It said the nations. Now, I watched the the, uh, the Olympics the other night, the opening ceremonies. And it's interesting that every four years, the world tries to come together. And when you look at when they walk in within the Olympics, every nation is represented. And so you have people from every country, every tongue, every color of skin that's there. But what you saw at the 2016 games of Rio, it won't hold a candle like the opening ceremonies in heaven. I'm going to tell you that right now. It won't even come close except in heaven there'll be all nations. You know, this church, it's an interdenominational church. I believe in this church we have Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Catholics, Charismatics, whatever else that I missed. 
And we all come in the name of Jesus. That's what brings us in here. And you know what else I recognize in this church? There's a lot of different colors of skin in here. There's a lot of different sheep in here. There's black sheep, brown sheep, white sheep, swirl sheep, but we're all sheep. And you know why we come in here? All under the name of Jesus. Because we know there's only one God that created every one of us. Let me just throw this out. You know, our nation right now, there's a lot of division. But as I watched our athletes come in last night or Friday night on the opening ceremonies, I saw woven in and out of the U.S. Olympic team all kinds of different colors of Americans. The black Americans weren't over here and the brown Americans weren't over here and the white, they were all together. And it's interesting to me that we can come together in the name of sports, but what about a country? The most segregated time in America is on Sunday mornings. But I believe something happens when you put Jesus into human beings' hearts. There becomes a love that can only come through Jesus because he's the way. You get Jesus into people, and I don't look at people as color. I just look at people. And so I encourage you, pray for America. That, that, that America doesn't need any more education. And I'm not down on education. America needs Jesus. We need revival in our homes. We need revival in our jobs. We need, we need Jesus. And guess who he called to do that? I will tell you this. I, I believe with all my heart, I may be the most blessed pastor in all of Lubbock, Texas. You know why I say that? Because all the different colors of skin here. You know what I see? Heaven. I see heaven. This is heaven right here on earth. That wasn't even in my notes. You guys said, I amen. Verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall be no means enter it anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie. But only, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Again, I don't get in because I'm religious. I don't get in because I can quote this scripture or that quote, that, that scripture. I don't get in because I've done this or haven't done this. I get in because of Jesus Christ, only by the, the, the blood of the Lamb. And that's for every one of us in here. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.